Welcome to the Catholic Duluth Show. The Catholic Duluth Show is a parish commute podcast serving the parishes of St. Lawrence and Holy Family in Duluth, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us today. My name is Daniel Rota, and with me I have a special guest, Deacon John Foucault. How are you doing today, Deacon John? Doing very well, Daniel. Thank you for having me on today. Greatly appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for joining me. Beautiful week here in Duluth, starting to get cold again after the little heat burst that we had. And um, yeah, Father Eli is uh, on a conference this week, yes, an is. online conference. So he's a, a, little, a little staycation. Yeah. Uh, so I asked uh, Deacon John if he'd come on the show today and just talk to us a little bit about what it's like to, uh, to be a deacon and kind of his process going through that. And Deacon John, you've been with us here now at St. Lawrence and Holy Family for a little over a year. That's correct. Since correct? July 15th, 2019. Okay. And yeah, I guess if anybody hasn't met you or doesn't know a ton about you, do you want to just give a little uh, rundown on who who is John Foucault? Sure. Should we open in prayer before we do that? You know what? Let's open in a prayer. Let's do that. <laughs> Let's do that. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Dear Lord, we give you thanks for this beautiful day you bestowed upon us and the opportunity to come to everybody through this podcast. And we ask that you bestow your blessings upon all your faithful servants throughout the world. And we ask this in your name. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Deacon John. And yeah, you can take it away. Sure. So I was born and raised in Duluth. Grew up in uh, West Duluth. St. James was my home parish. I uh, went to Denfeld. Married my high school sweetheart, have three wonderful children. I uh, reside now at Schultz Lake after 31 years in the Kenwood area. I uh, was a uh, member of St. Ben's for many, many years and then was ordained in 2014. Uh, assisted there, I served there for the last five years prior to Bishop Serva's request for me to consider an assignment at St. Lawrence and Holy Family, which I uh, happily said yes, be happy to serve wherever needed and then moved over on July 15, 2019. Uh, I was a business owner for 25 years, a software company in Duluth that served clients throughout the country. Had a nine-year career prior to that in software development at uh, Maurice's corporate office here in Duluth. Uh, love our fair city on the hill. Absolutely um, treasure with the assets that we have and the beauty of the nature and the lakes and the uh, environment that we live in. And happy yeah. to be at St. Lawrence and Holy Family and getting to know everybody. Yeah, we are. We're happy to have you here. Uh, have you ever lived anywhere other than Duluth? No. Uh, when my wife and I were engaged, there was an opportunity to take a potential position in Green Bay, and we talked about it and decided to keep our roots in Duluth versus moving, potentially moving away uh, and starting you know, a family somewhere else and away from the parents because she also is from Duluth as my high school sweetheart. Uh, so, no, we've never lived anywhere else. Yeah. That's great. That's great. That's probably very rare in today's age. It is very rare. I come from a family of eight, uh, and four of us are in the Duluth area still, and then uh, four are not. Two are in the Twin Cities and two are on the West Coast. And throughout my job, I was fortunate to travel to many, many major cities throughout the country for different conferences and uh, partnership development type stuff and business opportunities. And always coming back flying into to Duluth, I really started to appreciate what we had here in Duluth versus the major metro cities. Yeah, yeah, I know it's something for me. Like when I, because I went to college here and then I left for a couple of years, and just having the, uh, just I, I think it's a perfect size. You know, it's like a big small town, small big town, whatever you want to call it. I think it's a great size, and so I'm glad that I have and ended back up here. That's fantastic. Um, it's good to have you here, and I always love 
hearing stories of individuals who have moved away and returned, um, I always ask them what brought you back to Duluth. A lot of times it's the community, it's the families that uh, they grew up in here, and they got tired of the hustle and bustle of the big cities. You know, they're fun to visit, but they're not so fun to live in. Yeah, yeah, I, I have experience with that. <laughs> yes, yes. It's nice to drive to a grocery store and take 10 minutes to get there versus, you know, and 40 minutes to an hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, so uh, I, I guess at what point did you begin to think about the diaconate? Um, can you give us a little insight into a little bit of your vocation story to becoming a deacon? Sure. So I grew up in a Catholic family, obviously, out at St. James. Um, as a young child, I was an altar server at the parish. I wasn't real well catechized in my youth. I didn't pay a lot of attention. I wasn't a good student in school. I wasn't a good youth in uh, Wednesday night religious ed, that type of stuff. So I wasn't real well catechized. But my mom tells me, I always said when I was serving, if priests could get married, I'd be, I'd be a priest. Um, I love the church, but I didn't understand my faith. And then as my wife and I were married, obviously in the church, uh, we got into our mid-30s or so, uh, my faith become, became more alive within me. I don't know what uh, started it, but my heart started to stir. And at that time, I joined the Knights of Columbus. I was an usher in the church, and then I got on the finance council, and I was, I wouldn't say I was, I was seeking something, but I was more engaged. Uh, engaged in the, the, the parish, uh, the annual din beef dinner, the different things that we would do. I was in, trying to be involved. And then at one point, the concept of the diaconate stirred within my heart. And I said to my wife, Julie, I said, you know, maybe we should consider what that stirring is in my heart. And I talked to uh, Deacon Danny Anderson and understood a little bit more about the role of the diaconate. And we decided with our young family at the time to, you know, put it on hold and see where it goes within my heart, my desire, if you will, uh, to pursue it. And then as time went by, uh, the stirring was still there. And then I said, you know, I think we need to revisit this. And we did. I talked to Deacon David Craig at the time, who was the leader of the permanent diaconate, and found out it was a six-year process of uh, discernment and classes and education and papers and all that type of stuff. And we talked about that. And we had uh, you know, young kids at the time still and decided to explore it. And from that point, we... Uh, we're engaged in it and uh, went through the process and was ordained in 2014. So I can dive deeper into more if you want, but I'm sure you have some questions. Yeah, yeah. What um, what was the the formation experience like as a deacon? Because I think like we've had um, some seminarians on, and obviously uh, previous pastor Father Ryan was the vocations director. So uh, we've talked a good amount just on this podcast about. Uh, seminary formation, but what was the, uh, the your formation experience uh, going going through the diaconate? Sure. So the first two years of the six-year process, the first year is called the inquiry process, and that's basically on a Saturday from about nine to three, where the candidate and the wife attend, and you go through some you know light discussion on the permanent diaconate and some theological discussions and so forth. Pretty easy time. Um, you write some reflective papers, you do some journaling and so forth. And I was wondering the whole time we did that process is, you know, am I, am I supposed to be here? What is, what is this about for me? Where is this leading me? And then that second year is the aspirancy year. 
and you dive a little bit deeper into the theology and a little bit more of the papers and uh, it's, it's more like going back to school and you're graded on some of that stuff you know reflective wise and so forth and then if you're accepted into the formation process which is the last four years it's much more intense uh, it starts on Friday night about five o'clock goes till nine or so and then Saturday morning through Saturday evening about eight nine o'clock and then Sunday morning till about one or one thirty in the afternoon and again the wives go now the wives don't have to do the homework and the reading and all of that type of stuff but you're there as a couple because you're unified in the path that you're walking throughout your discernment process as to whether or not God is calling you to this vocation because as you go through that process the husband if ordained is going to be on a different path in regards of service to others where the wife will not necessarily be along that path there will be times where they may have had plans and the husband's going to be called to go visit somebody and you're going to do that as a deacon versus going to do the plans that you had done so they want the wives to walk the path with the husbands throughout that process of the four-year formation process um it was challenging for me at times because i was not well catechized and i'll share a story that i share in my vocation talk is one of the very first weekends uh the instructor said let's open up our bibles to i forget which gospel it was and which chapter which verse and I started to go through the Bible to look for that gospel and that chapter and that verse and not being well catechized and not really have dived into it. They were done talking about it before I found it. Now, the majority of people in my class were converts, so they knew the scriptures very well. I'll give them that for that. But my instinct at that moment in time was I am not fit to be here. I am not somebody that's worthy of this potential discernment and call. And in the process, as you go through each year, you are evaluated, your papers are, are graded and evaluated, and you're either invited back to complete the next year of formation or asked to discern out and you know pursue another vocation you may not be being called for uh, the diaconate. So I thought for sure I was done. I'm out of here. You know, they're not, yeah. I don't know the Bible. I don't know the verses. I don't know all of that stuff. But... God's plan was different than what I thought, and I was continuing to be invited back. Yeah, that's awesome. I think, uh, yeah, it's a great story just to to, to, be able to be able to look back on and see the progress, too. Well, and God equips those that are called. Um, you're not necessarily equipped at the time you're called, and I was not. Yeah. You know? and, and he has equipped me and continues to equip me each and every day and uh, different things that I am involved in as service throughout the diaconate role. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that's a uh, a great uh, kind of tidbit for, for everyone. I mean, no matter what pe everyone's called to, and my odds are God's not going to call you because you have the tools already, right? That's that's part of the... <laughs> he, he'll call you because you have some tools, but you may not realize the tools that you have can be applied to service. You know, the theological aspect, it can be learned, um, and... And not being afraid to explore what's in your heart, I think, is really key. And that's what my wife and I decided to do. Yeah. yeah. You know, in, in the formation process, at, at the end, uh, the wives actually sign a paper, a document that state they are in agreement to giving their husband over to the church for service. And okay. a lot of individuals don't know that. And uh, a candidate also signs a document. If you're ordained, so if my wife were to pass, um, I am not to, to be remarried. Um, you live a celibate life going forward. Yeah, Most correct, people right. don't understand that either. Yeah, yeah, I definitely have 
I read that before. Yeah, because I uh, I know that if you like if if a guy um, becomes a deacon before uh, he gets married, like that's remain single. He, yes. Yeah, he, 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 you remain single, and uh, yeah, I was like, oh, I guess that makes sense. Like if you think about it. Um, so w- was there any uh, like I guess pushback for you uh, when it like when it came to your wife and just the your family, I guess. Yep. Yep. Good. Great question. So, <clears throat> having the, the the three children um, and one daughter, my daughter, our daughter was ten years old or so at the time. So on the weekends we had to find somebody to care for her, not leave her home alone, and so forth. And we felt challenged with that. But it, every single month that worked out where. Somebody was available. She was available to go to a friend's house and so forth. And the, the children were very supportive of the whole process. Um, you know, explore it because it didn't necessarily affect them in regards to understanding how my life might be changed through service of others. But with my wife and I, uh, if anybody knows the five love languages, uh, my wife is a quality time person. And quality time means you like to spend time together. So listening to Others talk about how the husband's life will change in service and commitments and so forth. It was a very scary time for her, not knowing what does it mean in regards to how much time am I going to be away from the family. Sure. So throughout our process in class, um, yeah, it was. we had many conversations on uh, how much time is this going to take? You know, what types of things are you going to be asked to do? Because there's a big unknown out there for that. And she coined the phrase of diaconate widow. She didn't want to be a diaconate widow. Yeah, and a lot of wives also relate to that, going, you know, that's that's a good point here. You know, God doesn't put us together in marriage to have us be separated or apart. So there's a balance, and in the diaconate vocation, you know, your your vocation for work and providing for your family and your marriage are supposed to come before the diaconal service. But when you have a heart of service, obviously you want to provide for others as well. So as we went through our process, uh, my wife did question many times you know are we supposed to be here what does this mean and we would have great conversations on it to the point where um, one class uh, I derailed the conversation from the instructor for about two and a half hours I would say and we engaged everybody in the room in this conversation of what does this mean to our marriages you know are you prepared for this and if you are prepared and ordained and what what are you going to do and how are you going to handle that and the wives and conversations so forth but about halfway through that four-year process, so in year number uh, four, um, there was a Saturday, and she was at class with me. And the way she she has a great story to talk as well, talk about as well is we call it the turning point, where she said, "You know, God, if this is your will, let your will be done." Mm-hmm. And from that point on, that afternoon, there was never another question in her heart. Yeah, it was if this is meant to be, it's meant to be. And I'm in wholeheartedly and serve however we can. It's a beautiful, beautiful story. Yeah. And thinking about it too, having those classes and you said they're, they're like one weekend a month. One weekend a month in Duluth, yeah. Yeah. Uh, like that's got to be good for just, not just for the kind of aspiring deacons, but for the wives to be able to like connect and have that, like their own community. Uh, cause probably not very many people, you know, like have, have that experience. So to, so to be able to like have that connection with 
of people going through this that same experience has got to be priceless. Well, it is. And the, the interesting thing is you start out in the first year or two and, and it's like, oh, we got to go this weekend. You know, it's fall. It's going to be a beautiful day. And it's like, oh, we got to go to the class. When you're done and, and leaving it, whatever form, if you're going to be moving to ordination, ordination or not, you really miss it. Yeah. And you miss the, the, the fellowship of the other couples. You miss that time together. You miss the experience of learning and deepening your faith. Um, and I was very surprised, and so was my wife, on how much we missed it when we were done. And when we'd be invited back to go talk to uh, the, the candidates and their wives, it was like, wow, we get, you know, we, we get to go do that this weekend. And it was really nice and really enjoyable. Yeah. So you're right. There is a... You develop, and you're with people that you don't normally know because they're coming all over the Diocese of Duluth. You build great friendships and, and bonds. And as you're going through, you know, some challenging readings and studying and putting papers together, it's nice to be able to call upon somebody and say, I'm struggling with this. And what are you, you know, how are you tackling this? And then when you're done, it's like, wow, it's over. Yeah. Uh, what do you think a couple of the, like, big fruits have been for you, your family, uh, whatever, uh, I guess it may be, uh, but just fruits that you've seen come out of your vocation. Yeah. Well, one is uh, our marriage has grown deeper and has been strengthened throughout the diaconate process, but also afterwards. Um, when you're engaged in a relationship, you know, our goal is to help others get to heaven, right? And in our marriage, we learn so much about uh, marriage. We learn so much about uh, faith in our marriage, uh, we grew deeper in it than I ever thought we would. And I've said to people many times, you know, even if you're, if we could take the uh, process of the formation for the permanent diaconate and incorporate that into a marriage preparation, um, marriage enrichment, we would see wonderful fruits throughout that. In regards to my personal vocation, uh, there, there's so many blessings. Um, you know, I, one of my vocational callings is in the elderly, the ill, and the dying. And being able to walk the journey with those at their last stage of life on this earth is uh, an incre incredible experience and blessing. Um, I'm heavily involved in marriage preparation. Uh, I preside at funerals, um, baptisms. So diaconate is really about service to others. Most people see us assist at the altar, and they say, oh, there's the deacon, and the deacon's at Mass. And that's what they view the deacon's role to be. Yeah. That's the minority of what we actually should be doing. The things that we should be doing are what people are not seeing as a, as a congregation. You know, baptism prep, baptisms, funerals, um, visiting the shut-ins, the elderly, uh, doing communion services at nursing homes and uh, elderly care facilities, serving the laity in however... The, the call is developed. You know, if they want to have a conversation about spirituality, to have that conversation and point them at a you know, spiritual director, to not to be one, but to walk with them through that path. We are assisting at the altar to be prepared to go forth, as we hear at the end of Mass, go forth and serve the laity in the diaconal role. Yeah, and uh, do you think every deacon has like the same role? in their church or do you think does it kind of uh you kind of rely on maybe your own like spiritual gifts also oh yeah there's you know we've gone through the charism uh assessments and, and identifying charisms when everybody has different charisms and talents and gifts so they do take on different roles within their parishes 
uh, in regards to that. And also, you know, their vocation of their work schedule. Uh, fortunate, I'm very fortunate and blessed to be retired after exiting out of my business after 25 years. So my time is more available to serve others. So I do do a different uh, uh, level of service than somebody who's working eight to five on a on a you know Monday through Friday job. Yeah. I can preside at a funeral service at a funeral home during the middle of the week because I have the time and ability to do that. I can do a committal at a cemetery because I have the ability and time to to do that. Where if you're working during the day, you you may not have that. Um, so everybody does have a different role, but a lot of deacons are invar- involved in marriage preparations, presiding at. Uh, weddings outside of a mass, uh, presiding at funerals on weekends at uh, funeral homes that are outside of a mass and so forth. They're doing you know, rosaries at uh, the wake services and the visitation services and so forth, um, serving the elderly. Um, another deacon, you know, good friend of mine, Deacon John Weiske and I, um, we were doing uh, communion services at uh, elderly facilities uh, up at uh, the Woodland area just to be able to bring God and the Eucharist to those individuals who were so faithful in the church and now can't get out to the church. You know, and with our uh, priests being so busy, they can pray a mass at those facilities, you know, once a month. But if we can go to them a couple of times throughout that month as well and bring them the Eucharist and, you know, read the gospel and give them a short homily as well, that's a, a beautiful thing for them as well as us. Yeah, I was just, just thinking that too of how, you know, uh, you can really be extensions of the priest in so many ways and just um i think uh another kind of limb of the church that we don't think about very often you're exactly right and that's you know that's where the diaconate came back into service was to help the priests serve their congregations because they they have to be you know so multifaceted and being you know administrators of their parish but also being the shepherds of their flocks and both of those are very different time requirements so when the deacon can assist them in going and visiting the elderly and uh, doing some of the administrative things that they may need done as well, because we all have different talents that God has given us, it's a great benefit to serving them as the pastor of the parishes. Yeah. Um, uh, what would you say to anyone who is considering the diaconate? Definitely explore it. Um, talk to some other deacons, uh, ask what their experience has been like, ask what uh, their life has been like, the impact on their marriages, um, and then call Deacon John Weiske, who is the Director of uh, Development for the Permanent Diaconate. They usually have some inquiry sessions a couple of times a year um, where you know it's a meet and greet and they, they talk about it a little bit more. And explore it. Um, if God is calling you, it can be a very scary thing. Uh, I was terrified when I was was told I was being invited to the ordination because I didn't know what it meant um, in regards to how my life is going to change. Um, uh, during my ordination at the prostration of the altar, I had visions and images uh, go through my mind in, in a blink of an eye uh, during that time of joy and sadness and faces of people, and um, I didn't know what that meant. Well, I know some of what it means now as I've walked the journey with people through their weddings, through their baptisms, through their births, through challenging times, and their funerals. Um, it's, it's a wonderful vocation if you are being called to it. And if you have any stirring in your heart, I would highly encourage anybody to uh, explore it. And I think that's, that's one of the great things of the, like the actual process of discernment, you know, because like kind of the same if you... You know, if a, if a young guy enters the seminary, that doesn't mean he's going to become a priest tomorrow. Exactly. You know? And that's kind of the same, same thing with the diaconate or, 
you know, if somebody joins the joins the handmaids, it's not like okay, lock and key, it's done with, right? Right. right. It's a it's an entire process of discernment. So. And it's not only you. That's you know, the discernment process is not a pr- a male should a man should never go into the diaconal formation saying I want to be a deacon. You know, I I want I desire to be. There should be more to that. There should be a a feeling of a calling of service. There should be a desire to want to help others through uh, theological things within our church. It's not something you strive to be. It's who you become. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's great. And I think something uh, that's compatible with, with all other different, you know, vocations that, you know, people have. Because, that, yeah, there, there could be some people that are like, hey, you know, I really want to serve the church and look into the acumen. It's like, oh, you know, this actually, I don't think this, this is my, like my skill set or, or where I'm being called. Right. Right. And so it's maybe a different avenue like and, within the church. So. You know, when you go into the formation process, you have to be totally open to not finishing, you know, because yeah. there's, you go through psychological evaluations and um, uh, assessments and that type of stuff. Yeah. And if there's a, you know, there's a team that looks at that and if the team says, you know, we don't, we don't think this is a true calling for you. You have to be okay with that, and that's part of the discernment process, and that's that should be okay. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Uh, well, th- that's all of the, the questions that I had. I don't. Do you have any final thoughts or? No, I don't. I'm just you know I'm excited to be uh, here at St. Lawrence and Holy Family and getting to know uh, the parishioners um, and serving. Uh, it's always a pleasure to greet people after Mass and getting to put faces with names. You know, the, the lockdown and the whole COVID experience has delayed that quite a bit because we see uh, fewer faces right now, and I totally understand that. But I encourage folks, if uh, they haven't been back to Mass yet, to, you know, consider coming back and, and uh, experiencing it because uh, it is a wonderful blessing for us to be able to celebrate Mass whenever we can. and. If they they can't make a weekend mass, try a daily mass like we talk about. In addition to you know the live streams that are being done, and I think Father Eli, as Father Ryan did, is a wonderful job as other priests throughout the diocese are doing for live streaming masses. Um, I was out at my uh, brother's hunting shack this weekend, and uh, one of my cousins, as he came in at lunchtime on Sunday, he's he's watching Father Rich's mass you know, oh. out in the deer stand. <laughs> um, so, it, you know, it's an opportunity for us to to practice our faith that way, but um, it's, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on. I greatly appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, uh, Deacon John, for joining us, and uh, thank you, everybody, for listening, uh, and we will catch you again next week. <laughs>